ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Alyssa Gelbard. She's the founder and CEO of Point Road Group, a unique branding firm that helps companies make better brand impressions through their people. She's a personal branding expert, leading a talented team that advises diverse companies, executives, and board directors to drive business success. Thank you so much for joining us today. So nice to be here with you. The world of work has really transformed since we spoke a few years back. So I'm really looking forward to diving into personal branding. And in the podcast, we often talk a lot about Gen Z and young millennials. So I'd like to change it up a bit and talk a little about older millennials and Gen X and some of their experiences. So first, let's just put it out there, ageism. Certainly, I've heard a lot of anecdotal evidence about it, but you're in the trenches. How real is ageism? Oh, it's absolutely real. And if anybody says otherwise, I think they're kidding themselves. It, it does exist. Sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's not so subtle. And I think awareness is key. And I think one of the challenges is when people are thinking about, uh, you know, am I facing ageism or, or not? It's often based on an insecurity about mm. their age and maybe they're making some kind of change in their professional life. So they're not feeling as confident because if they were really at the top of their game, they probably wouldn't be as, I'm not saying they wouldn't be attentive to it, but they'd be less attentive to it. But if you're an older person who finds yourself downsized, merged, a lot of companies are combining, we're looking, sure. like we're heading into a recession, people are being shed. So they all of a sudden otherwise find themselves on the job market. How do you dust yourself off so that you don't appear as creaky. Obviously, the first contact any employer has with you usually isn't in person. So nobody's seeing you. They're just seeing your your representation in a resume form. So what does that look like? What are some of the things so, if there's AI reading resumes and people's skills are fed into the system? How, how do you dust it off? Oh, a whole bunch of things. So I think first is when you think about how you dust yourself off, it's not picking up from when I last looked for a job X amount of years ago, I'm just going to kind of update whatever I did the last time a lot has changed, even if you talk about five years ago, 10 years ago, and forget even longer than that. Mm -hmm. So I think really understanding that how you put yourself out there the last time you looked for a job is not quite the same as today. I think first and foremost, before a resume is LinkedIn, because that's where everybody is. I mean, whether whether people are, everybody's on LinkedIn professionally, and people are looking you up without you knowing people in executive search and recruiters and in HR are looking people up all the time. And people are doing it every in everyday business. So having an updated LinkedIn presence that really shows you for who you are today, I think is critical. And then following on an updated resume too, and not just adding to how you presented yourself, let's say 10 years ago, because who you were 10 years ago is not who you are today, right? You've advanced professionally and had presumably more responsibility and oversight and more interest projects and things like that. So really focusing on not just who you are today and what you've done, but also thinking about where you want to go next. 
because it's not just updating LinkedIn and a resume, also thinking very importantly about how you talk about yourself, how you tell your story. So it's thinking about how do I tell my story verbally and then all those right in written places too, in, in the context of where I want to be going versus just where I have been. It's important to be future facing because maybe that the roles that you're seeking now are different than the roles that you've had. Well, let's, can we operationalize that just a little bit? Give us a, a sample person. Let's say somebody who has has worked a job, they've built a career, they've reached vice president, president, executive director level. So they're senior level person mm-hmm. and they've supervised people and they've worked in an industry and now they're looking and they would like to continue at a certain level earning wise responsibility wise, Mm -hmm. what is the story they should be telling in this new world order? I think part of that story needs to show that whatever their industry or let's say functional specialty is, that they are current in that area, that they're not using, let's say, old language, that they're showing that as they're as they've grown professionally, that how they talk about themselves incorporates trends, you know, what's happening now in what they're doing, you know, in their, again, functional area, et cetera, where you don't want to use older language. You want to show that you are updated and current and, and that you understand the landscape or the market or, you know, whatever the environment is now, because we see that all the time with people who are highly experienced executives who kind of, talk about things the old way. And you have to understand what is happening now. What are companies looking for? You know, an easy way to do that just to get at least a sense is doing two things. One is it's not exactly fun, but looking at job descriptions, what's out there? What are people, what are companies looking for? You know, you can really get an idea of the sense of skills, expertise, even keywords. You know, those are some of the things that you want to be attentive to, but not just relying on those, but actually talking to people who are in that, let's say, industry or functional, you know, area to understand what's happening, you know, what are they seeing too? So you're kind of getting it from both perspectives and then you're really informed. And now you can look at, hmm, based on who I am and what I've done, now I can learn, now I can be more informed in telling my story moving forward that's going to resonate with the companies who are looking to hire, let's say, somebody like me, right? Right. So at a certain level, you reach a certain level in your career. Oftentimes you're submitting bios. Let's say you're on staff somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, and when you go to a speaking engagement, you submit a bio, you're not sharing a resume. You've reached the bio level of your career and then you are having an involuntary change. So at this point, do you go through the the portals and the job applications or is that silly? You shouldn't be doing that talk to recruiters. That's how you're going to get landed. Talk to the business leader at the target company. What is the best way to approach it? So I think at, you know, at a certain level, well, there, you want to do a multi-pronged approach. You never want to do just, just one thing. And whether you have, you know, you're at that bio level or not, one of the things that has changed, you know, over the last, I don't know, at least five years, but is that you still need a resume. Even if you had, even if you already have an introduction, let's say through a board member or somebody else, you know, on the executive team or whomever, you're at some point, you're going to be asked for a resume because often it's just, you know, it's protocol for companies. So, you know, 
Sometimes so you, you can get away with that step. You need it. Not really. Not so much. I mean, sometimes you can get away with it, but it's a good idea to be prepared, you know, with one, but also again, LinkedIn, because someone who's referring you, they're going to look you up before like, who is this person? They, and a lot of times when they're doing that, it's to not just see, you know, who is this person? What have they done? But do we know people in common? Do we have something in common? So, but I do think getting back to your question about how you should go about it, networking by far, you know, is absolutely the first thing you should do and start talking to people. And whether you know people at target companies or in similar roles or have industry connections or who, you know, kind of service or work with or partner with the type of the company that you're targeting or the types of companies that you're targeting. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I mean, I think that's, you know, most people still after all of the, you know, all this time, they, they land their role that way. However, there is still a place for executive search and recruiters. So if you have, if you know of, and I think those who take the time to, you know, who understand really what you're looking for, you know, that world's very different because a lot of people are under that misconception that they're, they're out there to find the job for you. They are hired by companies. So the company is their client. The company is their right. client and you yeah. are the product. And so exactly. you appealing product that they can sell and right. clear off their books swiftly, I imagine. Exactly. Now, if you're the type of person that they regularly place or that their firm regularly places, then they may talk to you even if they don't have a current role because maybe they know they, that they tend to have a lot of those kinds of roles or maybe because it's an industry experience. So that really varies depending really widely depending mm. on industry, company size, you know, the size of the recruiting or search firm, what their practice focus is. But, and then, you know, and then there's the whole, do I apply online? And, you know, the answer is, are you, are you going to get your job that way? The chances are small, but they're not none. So okay. if okay. there is something, you know, my, 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 my feeling is, try everything. But okay. at, you know, at the senior level, would I spend most of my time applying online? Absolutely not. But yeah. if you do apply online, that still does not mean if it's a great job that you just do that and leave it, you have to network around that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, whether it's reaching out to folks on LinkedIn, whether it's, you know, contacting people who you know, but it's never a just apply online and just leave it because then you're really impacting any chance of success, you know, in that. Right. Right. Now, one of the things that also happens when people are at that, I have a bio stage of life is mm -hmm. it's a third act. You know, maybe they've, they've saved their money. They've paid for their kids' education. They are, but they're still, you know, vibrant people who want to do something mm -hmm. and board service is something often that people are interested in. If that's something that you want either now or on your horizon that you, you put that in your future plan, how should you craft your experiences? Well, one thing I would say is if it's in the near, you know, it's not something that happens overnight. So that is something you want to plan for you okay. also want to understand, you know, I think there's a misconception by a lot of people that, oh, I'm an, I'm a, you know, experienced an executive, I'd be a great board director. Perhaps, but perhaps not. You have to actually understand what goes into serving on a board, uh, you know, and what it's really like. You know, if you're in it because, oh, I want to use it as a way to earn money, you know, instead of a full-time role, that's not the reason, you know, to serve on a board. And yes, there are all different kinds of boards. There's nonprofit, advisory, public and private, but 
generally, and, and they're each a little bit different, but uh, generally speaking, you don't want to say, you don't want to look for a board seat or start thinking about it because, oh, I want to do that next year. That's something you want to be planning for to really understand what goes into it and what goes into good governance and what, you know, there's training programs, but really understanding what it is like to serve on a board. But then let's say you have that, you know, you already, you know that you've done that, that part of your homework, how you present yourself as a viable board candidate is not quite the same as a corporate executive. There is some overlap, but you know, it's a much more high level approach when, when serving on a board, you're, fo- you're, you're focused on issues and how you can really help the company move forward and grow or expand or merge or transform, you know, a lot of different, whatever the scenario is, but it's not, you're not rolling up your sleeves and getting your hands dirty. What, you know, the expression that, that, that people say all the time in the board world is, you know, noses in, hands off, or there's, you are, you're not driving the car, you're telling the driver where to go and what the best directions are. Cause you're giving guidance and you're advising management and you are not the manager. <laughs> correct. And it's very hard sometimes for people to make that adjustment, but that's where kind of getting that education and understanding. And just because you've presented at board meetings, that's not enough learning, but, but how you present yourself, a board resume and a board bio are different than a regular corporate resume. And -hmm. let's say bio that you might use for speaking. It's a higher level. You're emphasizing your board experience first. You're talking about committee work and it's all about coming to collaborative decisions. So the, the, the angle and perspective is a little bit different. And you don't get into as much detail, you know, and you don't get into the weeds on, on a board, on a board bio or board resume. People and get think- marketed to, you know, there are services mm-hmm. that, that are out there peddling that they can help, they can help train you, they can help land you roles. How legit are those services? Well, it really depends. It really and truly depends. Some of them, I think there's a, in, some incredible training programs out there, especially if you're coming with little or no board experience, some of the some of the programs are incredibly valuable in terms of how they can place you on a board. I would just err on the side of caution and really understand. You know, for organizations that say, "Oh, we'll take your resume for free," but if you want placement, it's going to cost you. But then understanding what is that placement? You know, if I'm paying for that, what does that actually mean? Because there's a real array, <laughs> vast array of the type of of organizations that do that. So I would talk to people who are members and just be cautious of anybody that promises you a board seat. Right. Okay. Well, you specialize in personal branding and companies rebrand. Can people rebrand? And I see this as sort of fitting into that board conversation or even just the third act conversation. If you've been charging down one path, is it possible to pivot? Is it possible to change your personal brand? Absolutely. I always think of personal brands as evolving. You know, as we evolve professionally, our brands evolve. So who I am today is an evolution of who I was a few years ago. You know, it's building and growing and expanding. 10 years ago, I wasn't really involved in the, in the board space. Now I am. So my, my, my brand evolved. So I don't think it completely changes because your brand is not just it's not just one singular direction or one singular thing. You know, it's a whole compendium of thing, things that make up your brand. But can you kind of pivot and start to change direction of your brand? Absolutely. I think that, but it takes strategic thought and, and direction to say, you know, where, where am I going? 
and how what's going to resonate with the people I want to be reaching. And then where are different aspects of my brand that I need to make some adjustments so people can kind of pick up on that change. One can be as simple as, you know, how you introduce yourself and tell your story when you meet somebody. You might emphasize different things in conversation now than you did a handful of years ago as you pivot, you know, for, for whatever the focus is, whether it's board, whether you are making an industry change or a a functional change, or you've up-leveled and now you're in the C-suite and perhaps you were below that now. And now you're really driving, you know, the growth of a company in in a different way. It could be for people who are at a different point in their career, who are maybe junior level managers are now getting to that next level and now getting involved on maybe a global scale. So how your brand is seen and perceived largely comes from you first. Well, let's get a little bit more granular, a little bit more tactical. So I've met somebody and I'm telling my story. What are some of the other tactics that I could employ to to rebrand or to polish a brand that I already have? Sure. So one could be some of the things we mentioned, your resume, your bio, your LinkedIn profile, but not just your LinkedIn profile, LinkedIn content. So content engagement is a great way to kind of start to rebrand and focus on whatever those new areas and directions that you that you're interested in. It could be things as as simple as how you dress and kind of come across. Let's say you are up leveling what you look like and how you come across, whether it's in person or virtually can shape someone's impression of you. That's Um, actually, can I, I want to dwell on that a teeny little bit because I have found, this is again, totally (laughs) unscientific that Gen X people tend to be a little bit more traditionally business dressed, even in virtual environments. And yes, we are. Well, you know, I own it. I'm Gen Z, young millennials, hoodies, combat boots, whether it's on, you know, now should people, you know, if we're talking about ageism, what's the right way to dress? Boy, dress codes have certainly evolved over the last couple of years, haven't they? But I've noticed recently that there is a slight, there's a little bit of a movement back to people dressing up a bit, which is nice. I don't mean you have to be super formal, but, you know, it's nice to kind of see that, that we've moved away a little bit from, you know, the way things have devolved, in my opinion. But I think, you know, in order to be taken seriously at a certain level, there, there's, how you, you, people perceive you, what you think about when someone walks in a room, whether it's professionally or socially, people are instantly getting an impression of you by what you're wearing. And I don't even mean by the brand or things like that, but I mean, generally speaking, if you are walking into, you know, example, I went into, I was at a business event last week and I knew the dress code would be kind of a little bit all over the place. Mm -hmm. So I was dressed, I wore a dress because it was, you know, I hadn't done that in a while, but it wasn't overly formal. However, there were a couple of people there who were wearing jeans, but in, and they were dressed really informally and it really felt out, it, it, they looked out of place to me. Mm, and, you know, so think about how someone just instantly perceives you. Yes, you might be, whether you're working at home or virtually or whatever your business, you know, your company's dress code is, that varies. But you want to be thinking about the environment that you're going into. That doesn't mean you have to lose your sense of individuality and expression and all of that. But being situation appropriate 
I think is a really important thing when it comes to how you dress. And including when you think about, you know, for those people you mentioned who are interested in up-leveling or serving on a board at that point, there's a certain level of seriousness. And Mm. how you dress sometimes shows how serious you're taking something. Again, that doesn't mean you have to be overly formal. Let's say for a guy, that doesn't mean you have to wear a tie all the time. I'm not saying that, but there's a happy medium between that tie and the hoodie if you are looking to serve on a board that's maybe not of a tech startup. Right. Well, and even in the tech startup, I suppose then there's some some roles. I mean, it's it's one thing if you're... You know, Steve Jobs and you're wearing the turtleneck and jeans, fine. He gets away with it. But does everybody? I I don't know. Yeah. I find me a CFO of a tech startup that's going Who, to that's, wear a hoodie. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. The CFO job, maybe not. You mentioned writing content and engagement on LinkedIn. There are a lot of people on LinkedIn. There's a lot of content on LinkedIn. How do you cut through the noise? How do you how do you make a little bit of an impact? Or is it simply that when people go look at you, they see your content? I think I don't I think people don't see your content so much when they're looking at their profile. I think that takes someone, you know, okay. a more advanced nuance. People are looking through their feed and what okay. stands out and how do you stand out? I think for many people they think, "Oh yeah, I engage with content all the time. I just like things." You know, that doesn't really get you that visible. I mean, I could I could get into all the nuances of what's more visible and not on LinkedIn from a content perspective, but really it's what are you adding to the conversation? If you are posting something or commenting or or sharing, what are you saying? How are you introducing it? Does your personal brand stand out? You know, mm-hmm. are you adding some insight, thought and something that show that differentiates you versus just just kind of doing what everybody else does? I think that's key. And also thinking about the areas that you do engage, you know, engage with when I mean topics, let's say boards, let's say it's entrepreneurs or women leaders or something like that. You can have several areas that you focus on with content. Oh, if, you know, Gabrielle is sharing something, then it's usually one of these handful of topics and she always has something interesting to say. Right. Right. And then people click on it and read it. Right. Right. You're brought in by companies to help their staff. What's the most common advice that you find people need to hear? A couple of things. I think one is that if you are not clear from a company perspective, if you're not clear of how you want people to talk about your business in front overall, then your people won't be clear. That doesn't mean they're not doing their jobs well and you're generating revenue. But if you're thinking about growth and you're not consistent in your brand message as a company, then it's harder for people to kind of communicate that message. And whether that's when they're talking about the company, whether that's on LinkedIn or the bios, you know, those kinds of things. So it's, that's a pretty simple, simple way. And I think the other is communication, that communications is so important. And there's a lot of people lacking communication skills. And I think people get away with a lot. And whether it's response time, how they communicate with clients or prospects, I don't think companies are as aware. And some simple training can go a long way. As an example, when we do an audit on a company and we'll look at some of their communication standards and we'd say, wow, do you realize this is happening? And they don't. And when you say we realize this is happening, can you just give a little example so that if somebody like what would be a whoa red flag that that a company is doing? Is it too informal with with customers? Is it too abrasive with customers? What kind of things? 
it can be, certainly it can be too informal, but one of the things we see most is response time. Oh, so okay. what's the ideal response back to an time? Email? Oh, that's right. I knew, I knew as I said that you were going to ask I'm like, me All right, that. I'm going to jump on that one. Right, what is right? I walked right into it. Oh, that one, I'm going to give you the, the cop-out answer and say it varies because it really does. If it's a customer or prospect, it, you just can't, or someone makes an introduction. By the way, that holds true on the job search and board search world as well. We were talking about job search and, and networking. So if somebody mm-hmm. makes an introduction for you, you know, one of those emails, yeah. How soon do you jump on it? What's the time frame? It's, I mean, my personal opinion, it's got to be within a day. It's a pet okay. peeve of mine. I have to tell you, when you make an introduction, meaning you're do, doing something because you're thinking of that person and how it might help them in some way, whether for a business opportunity, a job opportunity, board seat, speaking, whatever the scenario is, you're doing that. You don't have to. You're doing that because you're thinking of them and how, and it might be helpful. And taking a handful of days. I mean, I could tell you countless stories, you know, when, <laughs> when people take forever. I mean, really, I, we could do a whole podcast on it. And when people take days and the excuse of, oh, I'm so busy, I'm swamped, I'm this, I'm that, that just doesn't hold. We're all busy, mm-hmm. right? You know, mm-hmm. if someone's doing something for you, you respond. And perhaps it requires, you know, a more in-depth response. And then you could say, hey, thanks for thinking of me. I'm going to get back to you in, in a couple of days. You know, I'm just get, but, but you're acknowledging. Not knowing. So an an initial response should happen within the day. Uh, I would say within 20, you know, 24 24 hours hours. have to be the same day. But, you know, and because if you're not available, then you'd presumably, if you're out of the office, you'd presumably have an away message. And sometimes there are extenuating circumstances where it may be two or three days because maybe you are, I don't know, something's going on where, you know, I'm not saying it has to be. 100% 100% 24 hours, but really that's, it's the right thing to do. Right. I think. Right. Okay. Well, that's a good one. And so let's wrap on the single most important piece of advice that you'd want to share with everyone listening. Single most important single. thing that they, they, like if they were to get one thing that they really need to get right, what would that thing be? Hmm. We covered so many different things. Well, I know. So what's I the would most say, thing? <laughs> I would say when you are thinking about your personal brand, understand who you are today and what you're looking to do next. So when you communicate with anybody about your brand in any way, in any channel that you are resonating and relevant to what you're looking to do, that you're not your personal brand isn't something that is who you used to be because that will impact, you know, everything, whether it's, you know, advancement at your company, a new job, a board seat, a business opportunity, speaking, et cetera, that if people understand who you are now and who your brand is today, that will help you. If it's old and outdated and kind of who you used to be, then that can, you know, that can impact opportunities as well. Okay. Now I just want to ask one more. One more question. I lied. That wasn't the last one. So what's the most outdated phrase and its current and its updated version? Anything that like you see it, you just roll your eyes. Oh my God. I roll my eyes all the time. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. An outdated phrase. Or an outdated um, way to present oneself. Like, wow, that is so old school, not on point anymore. Well, anything written is saying responsibilities you know, my, my responsibilities include. Um, Okay. So don't be doing that. 
Right. And how would you, how would, okay, if you used to talk, let's just do this one thing. If you used to talk about responsibilities, how would you update that? You just go right in and say what they are. Just talk about what you do. You don't have to introduce it as these are my responsibilities or my responsibilities include. Okay. What is it? Just go right into it. You don't, it's kind of like, you know, there's always people use extra words. You know, one of my pet peeves of, and I say this particularly to women is you don't have to say just right. Just Uh following up, just checking in. That's an unnecessary word. It's still effective without it. So with, when you talk about responsibilities, you, you don't need that. And I would say the other mistake, I'm not sure. I wouldn't say this is outdated, but I would just say it's a huge, huge missed opportunity is don't just introduce yourself with a title and company. You're more than that. Think about a couple other things that you can say. Awesome. That's so great. And I love that comment about just, and I think that that is something that especially women need to reread their emails and delete those just, they just need to delete them. All right. I'm adding one more thing. Okay. <laughs> don't apologize. Don't say apologies or sorry. Women also apologize all the time in their emails and verbally. There's no need unless there's something that you actually need to apologize for. Right. Fantastic. I always love talking to you. It's so great and goes by so swiftly and is so jam packed with great information. So thank you so much for your time. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you again for having me. I look forward to our next conversation. We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Naughton, the voice artist who recorded our open, and of course, all of you, the members of our audience. Thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.